1: two men collide rival nations it's a primitive clash venting years of frustration i guess what i'm trying to say is that if they can change and you can change we can all change it's time for flats and shanks
3: okay ladies and gents we're going uh, to make a start very shortly. If, uh, if you can start to grab a seat. Uh, I see a few of you have um, been up for seconds already. Please bear in mind, Jason and Flats haven't eaten yet. Where's that Nick? I just saw Nick take about four burgers at the back there. That's pretty selfish. What well done, Nick. Um, I'm, uh, I'm Matt Powell. I'm, I'm just going to be here, just keep things uh, going along tonight. Um, I, uh, I played with Flats and Shanks at Saracens. I was pretty shit, so I didn't play much rugby. Uh, and then I had the pleasure of playing with uh, Jace for three years at Quinn's as well. So again, didn't play much rugby there. Um, so a bit of admin. Um, th- th- well, there's a fire escape there, but just look after yourself, run. Um, there will be a break, um, so if you can just uh, sit still for the, uh, for the first half. We'll go for about 35 minutes, and then we'll have a 10-minute break. Recharge your drinks um, and then um, there will be an opportunity for questions as well. Um, the last uh, the last, lo- last, live podcast we did in Bath, uh, you know, people were pretty shy about asking questions, but just go for it. Um, there will be some editing, so if it is really, really shit, we'll just cut it out. Um, so don't worry about that. And uh, if you cannot take any videos, that would be great, because... Uh, There's a lot of content that gets cut. Uh, Shanks doesn't really like questions or um, stories about his mum, Uh, and uh, so so they all have to be cut out. So please don't, please don't uh, record anything. Um, Jace, I mean, look, Jace is an absolute legend. He'll have a million stories. Uh, He probably could keep going for a few hours. I don't remember too much about my time with Jason in terms of stories. I just remember he's got a massive set of nuts. And um, the, whole, the whole teabag initiation is uh, still a bit of a nightmare for me. But um, so Jace will be on top form, I'm sure. Um, we've, got the, uh, we've got the Welsh Albino and, um, and we've got Big Fat Dave as well. So it's going to be a great, uh, great evening. Hope you enjoy it. Um, and I want to thank, um, I wanna thank uh, Darren uh, from Fuller's um harriet from the townhouse and uh luke from guinness um uh, who've uh, who've put, put on all the food uh, looking after us with the beers um so thanks very much to all you guys for all your support uh and uh well we're gonna flats and shanks want to do their own introduction so they'll uh, they're gonna introduce themselves in a few moments so enjoy the pod and i'll be back later on i'll go around with the microphone uh for the questions later on enjoy mate we're ready now parley we're ready now can you tell
4: them we're ready Yeah, they're ready boys, they're ready, and girls. (laughs) Go Shanks, go. Ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together for two of the leanest, greenest charity workers this side of Calais. Flats and Shanks.
5: (laughs) Got my
2: suitcase. I'm staying the night.
4: Thank
5: you. Jokes aside, Thank has you. anyone
2: got anywhere I can stay tonight? I'm actually in London without a room.
4: Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, please give uh, your, your MC, Matt Powell, a round of applause for entertaining you there for five minutes. Yeah. If you, if you do want to see a little bit more of him, tune in to Channel 4 on Thursday night's Embarrassing Bodies. He's on there. <laughs> I mean, last time I saw Powell, he was looking for a left-handed snooker cue. Did, did you find it, mate?
2: <laughs> hey, i tell you what. i tell you what. Hello, everyone. Uh, firstly, hello. Thanks for coming. Um, I remember I've, I've known Powley a long time since we were kids, really, young in the game. And uh, there's been on loads of stag dudes and all the stuff that everyone else has been on and all that kind of stuff. And there's just one, whenever I see Powley, I see Powley about two or three days a week, every week of my life for the last 20 years. And who remembers Chris Forty, who played for Gloucester at Hooker and played for Worcester? Remember Chris Forty? 4-0. Just wanna, if you're ever going on tour, lads, and you're, or ladies... And you want to put a few quid together, start chipping in early, get a fee together and take 4 0 with you, no matter where you're going, because he's the best bloke in English rugby. And whenever Powley walks into a room, and they played together at Worcester for years, whenever Powley walks into a room, he just says, Powley, take your face for a shit. <laughs> and then he, then he just says, whatever Powley, like, it'd be 20 times a day, Powley, face, shit. <laughs> That's it. It just used to break That's me. It's good advice, actually. Yeah, isn't good it? advice, yeah.
4: Anyway, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, welcome to this episode of the Flats and Shanks podcast, sponsored by Guinness and Fullers. Just a bit of a cheer, come on, just for yeah. the... Yeah. hey! hey. It always sounds better on, on the podcast. Um, welcome, welcome. We do have a special guest. I bet you're all dying to guess who it is. Yeah, you know who it
2: is. It's, um, it's an absolute... The word legend gets thrown around way too liberally these days, um, and especially when you're talking about people who've accumulated a lot of caps for minor nations like Wales and Scotland. <laughs> but what we got is a bona fide rugby icon. Uh, you might know him as the fun bus. you might not. You might know him as the leopard. He's got 114 England caps. He's, been, he's the most capped English international ever by 25 caps. So it's not just about, he's not just hanging on. It's a record that may well and probably will never go. He's been on three lines tours. He's won Grand Slams, five nations, six nations. He's won the World Cup. He's won everything. He's done it all. He was at Sari's for a season or two, then he was at 14 years of Harlequin. So he's just probably the biggest legend in English rugby. Ladies and gents, Jason Leonard. Okay. Okay. You up there, Chase? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who are the, these seats all say reserved at the front. Who are they reserved for? Shanks' mates. Anyone can have them <laughs> now. If you're if you're at the back and you're all standing up, there's actually there are seven seats that you can sit in. Only if
4: you're short. Can we uh yeah. can we get some can we get some beers in in Powley? Um, it's the end of Jan. We can pretend not to be alcoholic. <laughs> Chase Jace is, Jace is still
2: on dry Jan, but Shanks and I will have. By the way, uh, those of you that, well, actually you all listen to the pod, of course you do, or most of you do, you all have heard of our Michelle, right? And our Michelle, who organised loads of this stuff, didn't bother coming to the last pod and she made sure I didn't introduce her tonight because she's not used to being in the public eye and she gets embarrassed, so she's sitting just here at the front. Thanks, Chinface. <laughs> so, Michelle, stand up and give everyone a wave. For those of you listening to this at home, or on your...
4: She's recently had twins as well, so... Uh, so no take funny it easy ideas. on her.
2: She had a glass of wine about three hours ago, and she's smashed.
4: Especially, especially this one here.
2: <laughs> anyway. <laughs> anyway. That's how they start, harming animals. Anyway, Chance, can we get on with it That's and be professional, ready. please, for Christ's sake? Jason, wonderful to have you. Thank you very much for coming down. Um, I gather you've come from just around the corner, so it's not a long trip for you.
6: Yeah, no, it works just around the corner, so uh, I think everyone who's in the area... The problem with this area, you've got uh, all these great pubs and uh, you walk past all these pubs. Everyone wants to stop you and have a quick beer. And I had a couple of smart asses sort of say, come on, Jace, join us for a beer. Monday's the new Friday. You're like, fuck <laughs> off, please.
5: <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's like when Rocky Balboa goes for a jog through Philly. It's like you walk through the, basic, the boozing districts and you're knackered. You've got to basically <laughs> have a disguise. But then your, basic, your body shape when you walk means that whatever you wear, they know it's you, right? It's a dead giveaway. Yeah. It's a
3: dead
6: giveaway.
2: So what work, what you doing these days? And when you say work's just around the corner, what is that? What are you up to now?
6: So I, I work around the corner for uh, an insurance brokerage. And uh, it's one of these ones I, I think it's hard for a lot of rugby players that, to find that transition. We <clears throat> And you know this as well as being an amateur player as well. We found it. <laughs> uh, uh, it didn't wasn't, mean in standard. That wasn't taken in the taken. It didn't in mean out, in standard. No, I mean, because we actually worked before. If you talk about these, like someone like Johnny Wilkinson has never known anything except professional rugby. So we used to work and rugby was our hobby. And it became our job, which was the best job in the world. So a lot of these younger players find it very hard, the, the transition from from playing and the adulation of the game and everything like that to then going into mainstream work. So,
2: Did you not find that difficult? <coughs> was it kind of natural for you because you'd sort of done it before? Uh,
6: I think I most probably carried on very amateur, like in the professional <laughs> environment, <laughs> really. Um, and, no, so i I'd carried on working while I was still even in the professional game. And, and then, as, as luck would have it, then you fall into a load of roles with the RFU. i have come and sat in the RFU as a RFU council member, um, sort of brought the average age down by about 30, 40 years <laughs> in that aspect. Um, and, and then I was quite lucky that I managed to get on a uh, a presidential uh, rollout, if you like, because it's like a four-year uh, piece of work. Yeah. You don't just do it for one year, it's four years. Okay. So you're a junior vice president, you're a senior vice president, you're president in the third year, and then your last year, you're immediate past president, and then you drop off literally you drop off everything then really after that
2: so that that role I mean I saw you a bit during that sort of before during and after but it always interests me because as president of the RFU it's a massive role and I don't I don't know what it entails but what I can imagine is you putting suits on every day and going to this lunch this dinner this lunch this dinner so do you finish the year about eight stone heavier than you start it or is it not just dinners and lunches
6: I think there was a book running on me about how much weight I would actually put on uh, by all the older players and I think the, the highest was I'd, I'd get up to over sort of 22 stone yeah
2: that's and I dangerous. Think, zone. I
6: think I, I got I know I think, that I think I most probably was just underneath it by a pound or two or something like yeah. that I think I just shaved it it's come um, off now though Jace. no I've got rid of it now but it has taken a couple of years to do it I'm what were you doing it. just eating well cycling uh, <laughs> trying try not to eat when, when you're doing this, it, the, it's great because it's a true—how can you say—ambassador for for the game. So everyone wants to take you come to our rugby club, come and have a few drinks, come to this lunch, come to this dinner. Yeah, it, it's, it's brilliant—the the, the, the reception you get from the game. But at the end of it, literally, you're you're avoiding anything that's sharp just in case you pop <laughs> So sort of then like that. It's... <clears throat> and and then, I mean, it is one of those ones because the the role itself, you are wheeled out at every single opportunity, and you feel a little bit like, I was going to say, well, a little bit like an American president kissing babies and shaking hands. Uh, Less
4: of a bell end, the American.
2: Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
6: but the, the, one without his thumb over the button, sort of thing like that. <laughs> but, there is yeah. a
4: there is a visu- you know, visually you can see you've lost weight. I mean, that's the best thing I like about you, Flats, is that you know you let yourself go and you just don't give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> You know what? We'd, upstairs,
2: you'd expect us to be talking about like, you know, lad stories and all that. We've been upstairs for about an hour and we, we were, but immediately before we came down, when sort of Michelle came up and said, right, come on down, I was talking, Shanks wasn't really part of it because he's naturally, I was talking to Jase about, how have you got the weight off, Jase? You know, I started, you know, and we, you do honestly get to a point, I've never been present in RFU, but I go to a lot of events and you do get to a point, mine was two weeks ago last Monday, where we had this day out with... Lawrence arranged this day out, and I told you, all, I've talked about it in the pod before, but we just had this massive day of booze, basically. So we had a load of wine, a load of pints, and more Chateaubriand than 12 large men could manage. And by the end, I mean, they would have been... It's incredibly wasteful when you put it like this, and you probably hate me for it. There's probably, you know, five kilos of meat or three kilos of meat left on the table. We couldn't eat any more. And I got onto my bed in my hotel at about half five, and I was drunk and I'd overeaten, had an amazing day with everyone, and I thought this is, and I didn't eat, a, I wasn't ill, I didn't eat a large meal for five days after that day. <laughs> I, sh- I shit you not, and still now I'm Literally. not eating, st- excuse me, so still now I can't eat, I'm not eating lar- I mean large meals, larger than all of you lot eat, but not as large as I normally eat, and there does come a point where you think it's actually toxic now. It's toxic, and my wife weighs me in every morning now. Like she weighs me in and I'm away from home and she's, last week and I was staying at this hotel and she's like, you weighed in? I was like, I'm in a hotel. Go to the gym, they've got scales I've checked. <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah. So you left, you left the uh, RFU presidency um, but you were saying upstairs, on the way out though you've been offered a, another role. That... Uh, almost yeah. out the door. It's, yeah,
6: yeah it, it's, it, it, reminds, it reminds you very much of um, the godfather, Al Pacino and fa- the godfather, like the family keep on dragging you back in, sort of thing like that. So as I was about to leave... Uh, <clears throat> so at the end of the season, the RFU has uh, a, committee din- a committee meeting, then a- an AGM, so the Games AGM, so Annual General Meeting. And after that, I should have literally just dropped off the perch. That was it, I was done, sort of thing like that. And before I've even left that meeting, the new chairman, uh, Andy Cosnet of the RFU, said, I'll tell you what, Jase, um, we've got the British and Irish Lions role coming up uh, pretty soon. I think you would be really good at that. And I sort of went... Jesus, Andy, I've not even left the building yet. Can you not wait until? Give me a bit of time, something sort of like that. He said, "Just have a little think about it and stuff like that." And it is—it's—it's it's something that I have said. I'll—I'll I'll go on the board for the British and Irish Lions. Um, the, the Lions is in a period now where it, it's got to look at itself. I mean, a, a fantastic result down in New Zealand. Yeah. I mean, considering what 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 the Lions is and how they come together and the short preparation, and all this. And again, the players involved and the clubs and the great work that they do. So we've got to make sure that we give every single person that goes on a Lions tour a real opportunity of winning it, not just going down there and, and, and gamely getting beaten 3-0, which is what everyone thought was going yeah. to happen in New Zealand. Uh, which I, did, I really did enjoy the, the post-match in New Zealand when they sort of asked Steve Hansen, what, what was that like? And he said it was a little bit like kissing your sister. <laughs> and you're there thinking... New Zealand's a small place.
2: <laughs> yeah, you'd know mate. You
6: you might know that. So then I'll that, think that's not really what you should be coming out with. But um but I I think everyone most probably at, at that time was a little bit down about the result because obviously it was it was a drawn series. But I think afterwards, especially from a Lions point of view, our guys should be very, very proud of what they achieved because only one other team's gone down there and, and yep, bettered yep. that. In '71.
4: So you, you went in uh, 91, didn't you, to New Zealand? 93 to New Zealand. Oh, 93, sorry. Um, how did you find out? Because a lot of the, the guys now, they find out literally on Sky Sports News. How was it? How did you find out you were
6: selected? <clears throat> I, uh, I told this at a dinner a little while ago, and one of the players here did ask. God, I, I, I said, uh, I found out someone was watching CFAX.
5: <laughs>
6: yeah. So it came up on CFAX, and then someone rung me up or rung someone to get me. And they told me I was selected. It was on CFAX. And I was talking to one of the young players, and I can't remember who it was. Literally went, what's CFAX? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. that, that makes you feel very, very old.
4: So Bambooz- Bamboozle's on there, isn't there? It? it used to be. Some of you will know. <laughs> so, Jace,
2: you're, you're part of this. Yeah, some of you will know. You know. And if you know you know, you know that you know. Um, we'll wind it back in a minute and talk about, sort of start the old days a little bit. But in this new lines role you've got, it's, it's kind of, I'm sure you love it, and you've got, obviously got a great passion for the game and all that but do you feel like there's almost a bit of responsibility for you because um, you're, know, you you like all three of us, too old to play elite rugby now, but in rugby committee terms, still in your 40s, you're a young member of these committees. So do you feel like as someone who gets the modern pro game, you've got kind of a bit of responsibility to shake up the Lions a little bit, shake the tree a bit and sort of alter how perhaps it's arranged or selected or scheduled or something when you're in there?
6: Yeah, I I suppose I, I think that's part of the reason why I was asked to Go on the board for the Lions. Um, the Lions have done so well. And, and it's still very similar to what it was back in the day. And it's it's making sure that we bring them up to the modern day. And, again, giving them those opportunities, as we said, whether it be time or whether it's time together, uh, practice games. I mean, you've got to look at all three tours. They're, they're all slightly different in different ways. But you can still look at Australia and South Africa New Zealand's one of, one of a kind. I mean, it, it is a different league. They're rugby mad down there. Uh, you could fill out any stadium playing the Lions. You don't have that same madness when you go to Australia because rugby union is, God, I mean, after Aussie football rules, rugby league, soccer, uh, cricket... I mean, soccer is most probably a bigger participation sport than rugby union now in Australia. Right. So Australia's come right down. So, again, the, the matches you're going to play <clears throat> are not going to be of the same sort of standard that you would find in New Zealand. And slightly the same with South Africa being on, on, on the Dan side at this moment in time. Their, their club rugby's not great or their provincial rugby's not great. And their international team's not great as well. So they're not exactly the same threat as what they was in, in, in other years. But you go to New Zealand... Any side you play, it's going to be a tough game. So we've got to look at these tours differently and prepare for them differently to give our players the best chance and the coaches as well. Because, I mean, if it it becomes increasingly harder to win a test series in any one of those three countries, who's going to take it on? Because it, it obviously will be a sort of black mark on, on, on the book as such, on the coaching book for a coach or a manager. So or high profile, it will, it
2: will always be associated with their name, won't it? Yeah. Yeah,
6: yeah. So we've got to make sure that opportunity, we create those opportunities for the future players and coaches. So
4: when you're, when you're going in 93 now, um, do you remember Do you remember it like it was yesterday, so to speak? And who was, who was like your roomie on there, your first roomie?
6: Um, I roomed in, in 93, I actually roomed most of the time with Rory Underwood. And Anyone who knows Rory Underwood, the, the England winger, the, the whole idea of the Lions is you don't room with an Englishman. Uh, <laughs> but I got lumbered with Rory. Now, Rory doesn't drink, he's, he, he doesn't touch a drop. Yes, that'd be a good crack. And yeah, <laughs> he's, in, he's tucked up in bed at 10 o'clock in the evening, sort of thing like that. I, on the other hand, was out every night drunk. He'd have to tip me into the room, sort of thing like that. He'd wake me up in the morning with a cup of tea yeah. and stuff like that. Got me on tra- to training on time, so got me dressed and all this. And all. It was the best roomie. It was the best roomie. Yeah. So I, I think that, that, that first line store that I went on was about 12 weeks. About six of those weeks, I roomed with Rawls because he was a room master. And yeah. I said, I, I think I should room with you again, Ross. <laughs> yeah, <it was> <laughs> and, uh, and it was And it was just fantastic. But it, the the tour itself, I mean, that was most probably the last even 97 had changed that bit it was still amateur in fun and stuff like that but it was we was far more professional in 93 it was uh it was absolute carnage
4: <laughs> <laughs> i remember that talk because didn't inga twigamala run into martin johnson and just sort of end him it was massive run by i, m- I remember that moment definitely um, <laughs>
6: most most probably really, don't. i going uh, to say Chase was
4: drunk at that point
2: no so. no no <laughs>
6: see i mean from from our point of view our coaching mantra at that time would be well, what do you see? I see three of them. Go for the one in the middle. That's most probably... Because <laughs> we were on the smash all the time. It, it was... And we, we did laugh at one point. We, we only had one or two Irishmen in our team. We didn't see him for the first three weeks of the tour. <laughs> it was... How, how the Irish can find an Irish bar anywhere in the world, I don't know. <laughs> um, I, I, I always tell one story that we, we went out once... A, a true mixture. So it was Gavin Hastings, who was the captain. Uh, Scotty Gibbs was there. Uh, I was there. Nick Popperwell, the Irish prop. Yeah. And we were in Rotorua. And if anyone's been to Rotorua because of the, the volcanoes, uh, the, the activity there in Wales, it it's not, it's, it's a bit hard on the nose and stuff like that. And we're in this hotel and uh, we said, right, come on, drop your bags in. All four of us go out for a quick point. So he said to the guy at the front door, so he said, where's your nearest pub? And he went, pub. He goes, Ugh. "He goes, uh, there's a bottle stop shop down there. And I said, what, an off-license? He goes, yeah, but you can drink in there. That was the nearest pub. <laughs> so, <I don't> know. <laughs> so we go, right, okay, we're going there. But to go down there, you walked out of the hotel literally for about at least sort of nearly a mile. And then at the lights at the T-junction, you chucked a right, and it was about another nearly mile down there. And once you get in there, it was fine, and they were looking after us, so great hosts, and we're having a blast in there. But, of course, it's about 2 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Gavin, being captain, goes, I think we should make a move now, right, OK. <laughs> so we come out of the, the, the off-licence, and the thought of walking sort of a mile back and then a mile back up that road to the hotel, that you can see at the top of the hill, Gavin had the bright idea. He said, well, why don't we just cut across the field? <laughs> because, look, we'll just cut straight across there. It'd be half it great lovely and of course you've got nothing but it's, it's literally moonlight and the stars to guide you and as we walk through this field, this farmer's field trying to avoid car packs or whatever it would be and all this all of a sudden we come to it it's no word of a lie it, you can only call it a ravine and it's huge and you're, you're half pissed so the first thing you do is like, you take a couple of steps back and you think right have a little run at it and jump and you're like <laughs> you're like i ain't gonna make that i ain't gonna make that So you look to your left and and there's no bridge and you look to your right and there's no bridge. So what do you do? And it was Gavin who started this off. He goes, oh, I I know what we do. And he picks up a pebble. He picks up a pebble, find out how deep it is. So we're all standing there on the edge of this ravine. (laughs) Gavin Hastings, our captain, throws his pebble into this ravine and we're all standing there waiting to hear either a splash or it to hit the bottom of the the ravine. Don't hear a thing. (laughs) So what do you do? You find a bigger pebble. That's what you do. <laughs> so, Scotty Gibbs found saying, mostly about the size of a brick. Like that. So, he tosses it in there. Still nothing. Poppy goes away and he finds something like a, a little, sort of, little ball, w- water polo ball or something like that. Not as big as a football, a little small, smaller one. He throws that in there. Still no splash. So, I find this great big moss covered rock and it takes all my strength to get this rock to the edge of this ravine. And I remember even saying it at the time, saying, and we're all there, like, wave, like, literally waving around, like, sort of MFI w- wardrobe, sort of, like, we're all that pissed. And I said, this, this bastard's going to make a splash. I'll tell you that now. <laughs> so I remember tipping this, this rock, this, this moss-covered rock, into this ravine. And before I knew it, all of a sudden, this, this silver chain link come whizzing past me. <laughs> and I'm like, and I, I'm even then thinking, what the... I was out in this chain I'm thinking, what's that? And then at the end of the chain link was a. <laughs> and I mean, that's a true story. I mean, I'm, I'm a city kid. I don't know farmers tether things to goats, and goats to fucking rocks and stuff like that. It's, that's his prize ram that was, Jace. <laughs> and, <that, laughs> and that bastard didn't make a splash even. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I didn't see that
2: coming, I've got to say.
5: <laughs>
2: um, so you fast forward to 97. Oh, the and, best
4: tour, the best tour.
2: And that was, that was the one, that was the one, because of Living With Lions, because of the DVD, that was the one, that was the tour. So, you know, watching that as a youngster growing up, that was just, must have watched that a hundred times and, I'll we'll ask about that tour now because it looked just fantastic. But I, you know, I was lucky enough to be coached by Ema Geekham for a couple of years at Bath towards the end, and you know Geach very, very well. And it's this story that somebody reminded me of earlier uh, before you arrived, Jace. but I remember Geach effectively dropping me one day, to play against Quinns, actually. We're dropping you this week. He didn't say that. He said, we're going to take you out the firing line or something, what they say. We're going to He didn't. He said, we're going to take you out this week because you look old, and I was like, just and you look a bit, and I said, just say it. He said, you've been shit for three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I said, yeah, I know. And is just a great human being, and he was, and he was like, I'm going to take you out for a bit, give you a couple of weeks off. But he said, you got two choices on how you react to that. And I said, it's, you know, it's bullshit. I should be playing, I should definitely be playing, even though Nathan Cat should definitely have been playing for the last two or three years that I was playing. Um, I argued my point, even though I didn't believe it. And he said, you've got two choices to react. You either react like you're unhappy and you do that sort of stuff and you go chin in people in training and well done. You're not playing anyway. You're definitely not playing the next two games. Or you do what Jason Leonard would do, which is whether he's playing, he helps everyone else. And if he's not playing, he helps everyone else. That sort of stuff. And we had this little chat about it and we started talking about Lions and this guy and that guy. And this guy was perfect. This guy wasn't so perfect. And I don't want to embarrass you, Jace, but Geach, this, Geach knows everyone. And he's coached everyone. And he described you as the greatest British Lion he ever selected to go on a tour. And that isn't, just about, that isn't just about playing well in test matches, is it? It's not just about playing well midweek and at weekends. But actually, there's a lot more to it on a, on a tour like that when you're a senior player like you were.
6: I, I think that a Lions tour is different because of the nature of it and how people come together. The four, the four nations come together. And, and it, it is. It's... You, you leave your ego and to a certain degree, you leave your nationality at the door and I always remember Keith saying that once saying, "Okay, you are an Englishman, you are a scotsman, you are an Irishman, you are a Welshman, but once you walk in this room you 're a british and irish lion you 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 leave your nationality at the door that's that is quite important and uh, and, and, and again i i, I suppose I, I, I believe in the lions. I believe what it 's about and if you have a look at the tours and Again, the Lions should really, by rights, never, ever win because they don't have enough prep time. They don't have enough time together. You can still have major cracks in the squad where people, it does take a long time. I mean, you've, you've kicked lumps out of people for four years and then you've got to come back together as a team and actually support the bloke that you've been kicking for four years. You're like, oh, that's... Sometimes that's quite tough to do. So, no, I, I believe in the, the Lions and what it's about. And, and, and Geech does as well. I mean, if you cut, if you cut Geach in half, I mean, he, he is just bleeding Lions colours, really, to be quite honest. With, but,
4: with that tour as well, because it was such a special tour, was it, was it because of the stuff you did team building-wise with the squad or was it just you had an amazing group of, of players that sort of brought the team together? Because you've, you've not seen a squad like that and the no, lines videos we've no.
6: seen no i'd I'd mostly say I, we did do a lot of team building but that that was just great fun and mucking around and stuff like that. it was the squad and I, I think geach again the the selection of the squad that's most probably key to it as well yeah but it was not just the, the the players at the time that i mean even even in 93 um jeff probin should have gone but uh he got well he got voted against because at the time, there was meant to be too many Englishmen in the in the squad. Um, so it was still political in that aspect. How could you not take probes on that? <coughs> oh, no, no, he was, he was by far the best tight yeah. end in the championship. <coughs> All the English lads wanted to get rid of Will Carlin, to be quite honest. <laughs> we could have got rid of Will <laughs> and, and brought brought over uh, probes. And Will but had the arse to play in the front row. Yeah, just he not he the did, bottle, the face, yeah. on the face. Um, but no, that, and I think that's where he, Geach was... And Fran and Jim Telfer were very, very good. Uh, Not only did we pick a very strong players, a group of players from England, Scotland, Ireland and Wales, we also picked, if you remember, a number of rugby league boys coming back into the game. That's right, yeah. And they all contributed as well. Ben Toss, Tate. I mean, he's still living off that one bloody try. bloody yes. Every single time I see him, I'm going, that's 25 years ago, mate. Like, that is going, mate. One run, one try. exactly. One run, one (laughs) try, that's it. Um, You had Alan Tate. Yeah. You had uh, Scotty Quinnell come back as well. Scotty yeah. Gibbs coming back. Yeah. And um, actually, one of them that was most probably doesn't get the recognition that should have done, Alan Bateman. Because oh, yeah. he player. was fantastic mm. in helping everyone else, very much in the Lions ethos that you were talking yeah. about earlier. Even though he wasn't there, obviously you're looking at Jerry Gasker and you're looking at Scotty Gibbs. Mm. Bateman pushed them all the all the way through that tour. I bet brilliant. Jerry
2: was brilliant though off the field, helping all the other players. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> you never used to do team we runs. Jerry. Is, that, Jerry. is that
4: right? You never did team runs. You just walked through a team run like the day before you actually played. Jerry a game. did what he wanted because yeah. he was yeah. better you than everyone else. Jerry situations. Him. Jerry,
6: Jerry, is one of these ones. He's a very strange one. He's he's one of my he's one of my best mates, and uh, very early on in my in my career. Like everyone used to call him Joan Armour Trading in the England side. <laughs> and I'm there going, Why are you calling him Joan Armour Trading? He's going, Give Or me, me myself, and I. That's the reason why. So, something like that. And then with Jerry, I, I walk through town, I'm going up in a tube or going up an escalator or something. I'll always get someone tap me on the back and just say, Excuse me, uh, Mr. Leonard, I was at a function last night with one of your uh, one of your colleagues. And I go, Oh, yeah, who's that? Jerry Gusker. And I go, Oh, yeah. And all of a sudden, this bloke lets rip. God, he was rude. He was this, he was that. And, <laughs> blah 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 really arrogant and all this and I go yeah okay can I just say one thing and the bloke goes yeah what's that I say, he's one of my best friends yeah. and you see this bloke's face just dropped <laughs> right. I said mate it's alright so it's alright I know what you mean I know what you mean it's okay <laughs> but he's not like that really he's not like that at all but on those on those sort of things he Jerry has and he's very fixed about it he won't do anything more than he has to do if he's ready for it he's ready he'll go what do I need to do anymore I'm ready to play the game I'm I'm I don't need to do any more warming up. There was there's a great story with England years ago, and you, it, it would have been just before. Did, did you come down? You come down and done some of the Limpson stuff with us, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, I did, yeah, yeah. yeah. So when we went down to to with the Marines, so Clive got us all in there, and it was also sold to Clive as well about not only just doing this, but the Marines assess men on a daily basis, and they assess men, and, and this is where the, the energy sapper come out as yeah, well. Yeah, oh yeah. So it was, you've got leaders, so the marines find leaders who can lead men. So you got leaders, and then they use the saying like I think it was like um, worker bees. So guys who don't want any responsibility, but will just if you say run at that brick wall, they'll run at that brick wall. Sort of thing like people like Danny Grewcotts and stuff yes, like that. Yeah. So people like <laughs> <laughs> punch um, a hole in that, yes sir. Yeah. Um, and then and then the last one was energy sappers. And Clive was sitting in with the the, the major at the time, a lovely fellow called. Uh, Major Adam Malineau, and he said, Clive, what we will do is we'll assess your leaders, your worker bees, and your energy sappers. Energy sappers are people that are always negative, and they they drain energy away from the team, from the the, the unit and stuff like that, always negative. Clive was all over it like a rash. Yeah, lovely, brilliant, can't wait. So we did our training there, and it was hard training, so we're getting up in the morning, doing all the weights and the fitness, getting up then, doing the marine stuff, doing rugby sessions in the afternoon... And then most nights we're doing night excursions and stuff like that, and sort of you, you've got to capture the opposition's flag. And one night Austin Healy got held hostage, and we beat the shit out of him. I <laughs> <laughs> think we beat the shit that out of him. About, uh, yeah. That was after training. Yeah. And uh, everyone was all the marines going, "Don't you want to find a flag?" "No, I don't care, I don't care." <laughs> um, and then at the end of all this, at the end of all this, so Major Adam Malanu sits down with Clive. And he's got this book there, Clive's here, opened up his book, he's gone, right, go on, tell me, what, what, what have I got? He said, Clive, he said, you've got an array of leaders, you've got, you got Johnson, you've got DeLalio, you've got Leonard, you've got Back, you've got Dawson, you've got all these players. He said, look, you've got leaders coming out your ears, and of course, Clive's scribbling away, going, great, great, great. What about worker bees? Oh, have a look at Richard Hill's uh Danny Grucots, you've got loads of them as well. And... So Clive's scribbling all this way. He goes, so what about energy sappers? And Major Adam Malonew says, you've only got one energy sapper in your whole squad. He goes, it's so unusual. That doesn't, doesn't normally happen. You've only got one. And Clive went straight away. He goes, great, lovely. Who is it? Who is it? He's gone. He's out the squad straight away. He went, it's Jerry Gaskett. <laughs> Clive just shut his book like that. And he went, can't get rid of him. He's my best player. And he just <laughs> 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 exactly,
2: exactly there's
4: like, Every team, every team has sappers, don't they? Every team They go for sappuccinos with their mates um, We yeah. got one, in, there's one in Wales, Gethin Jenkins, right? He's the grumpiest bloke ever and,
2: uh, so We so saw him the other week in the street, didn't we? And he actually smiled Like he spoke to us for about three, four minutes in the street in Cardiff yeah. It was a fake smile, but he tried,
4: didn't he? He did so It was like a wedding smile And um, <laughs> He hates people well, I tall of you I, hasn't I met you yet? 2005, right? Wales, we beat Ireland in the last game, okay, to, to win a Grand Slam. And it's not been won in Wales for years and years, 20 odd years. And uh, we're in the change room after, right? And we're all like excited and we're all over the moon. You know, it's, it's amazing. And I look at Mellon, and Melon's just sat there like, like you, um, just, <laughs> just like this. I say, well, mate, what's up? And he just goes, Oh mate, think how long it's gonna take to get out of the stadium tonight. <laughs> And you're thinking, mate, you've scored a great try. Um, you've charged down Ron O'Gara, which was down to me because I lose the ball in contact. Not many people know that, all right? Um, so, yeah. try assist, second Must one missed of the day. that one. Um, but every, every team has, has um, sappers, don't they? But just going back to his point, you know, you went to the Marines trend. Weren't you, weren't you meant to be the next Jason Leonard?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's still time, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I was. Um, one what, of the questions we actually happened, got on Twitter was for Jace was uh, when did you realise Flats wasn't? Gonna be... Thing is, what ha- what happens is, <laughs> what happens is you get you got a legend like Jace and what you don't ever want is to be compared to someone. It's like someone runs quick next week, and they say, "Do you reckon you to be the new Usain Bolt?" No, I'm not. So I knew I had a chance of being a half decent player. I was a cocky little twat, but I tried my best, and I was tried hard in games, that sort of stuff. I didn't think I was any better than I was. I knew I had a reasonable chance of getting some England caps, but I just knew that with the people that were around were getting l- injured less than me, more robust, more talented, and probably more professional. So I just knew that. But for the first couple of years of my career, it was like, this guy's the next Jason Leonard, this guy's the next Jason Leonard. Then they stopped writing it. <laughs> I blame politics and injuries. That's all it was. That's I, the only I, things uh, it was.
6: I actually remember the moment when that actually happened. And that was... Uh... Your first cap was, uh, we've spoken about this before, against South Africa, in South Africa in 2000, yeah. where I had uh, a rush of blood. And there, it was a close game. Um, their fly half was a guy called Van Strom, uh, very similar to a Wilkinson, very wilkin esque sort of like literally kicking over goals. Big tackler as well, and he's a bit of a thug as well. He's a bit of a, a dirty player. And we were underneath their posts, not much in this game. Just before halftime, five minutes before halftime, Van Strahm come over and killed the ball. I had the, the rush of blood and I've just come in with both knees and I've knee-dropped him in the back, in the bottom of the back, small of the back. I remember it so And well. I've heard him squeal. <laughs> and the referee, Stuart Dickinson from Australia, standing there and he's blown the whistle. And he's gone. And he, he's a nice guy. He's a really nice guy, this ref. And he went like that. He said, I'm sorry, Josh. Mate, that's, that's right in front of me. So he goes, <laughs> I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to send you to the bin. And I went, well, if you would have blown your whistle when he actually came off his feet and was killing the ball, I wouldn't have done it, would I? So then like that, and he said, no, sorry, mate, you've got to go to the bin. So, now, so Could I have goes, been read that, JC. It was that yeah. bad. It was that bad. So that gave Flax his chance to come on the pitch because, obviously, replacement for a prop, sort of thing like that. So at half-time, we're in the change room and Clive's going round and ripping everyone to pieces because the, the first test we played against South Africa in 2000 over there. We narrowly lost. Remember when Tim Stimpson, the ball bounced up, he tried to grab it in midair and ground it and Andre Voss took him out in midair. It was the first time yeah. it went to a, yeah. a video ref yeah. and it was a local video ref that was doing it and funny enough it didn't come our <laughs> way. So that. Yeah. Um, and, and, and it was one of these ones, Clive's just gone round the room you're playing crap and you're playing rubbish and you're playing this, this, that and the other. It gets to me and I'm sitting next to Lowell there and he goes, and I can't believe it my most experienced player has just produced the most blatant bit of thuggery I've ever seen in my life that was absolutely disgusting that could have lost the game for us and then he's gone round the room having a go at other people and I'm sitting next to Lowell and I went why is he having a go at me and Lowell went JC it was pretty bad it was pretty blatant and I went well I don't know about that I've just won this game for England and Lowell looked at me and he went how do you, how do you think that and I went because that coming out for the second half <laughs> I can tell you that now <laughs> and, and he, he didn't did come it. out for the second <laughs> half and we won <laughs> yeah he did it yeah and, uh, but, uh, but that true. night but that, that night <clears throat> so we won the second test and fair play to Clive he said oh, go and let off some steam and all this and this is where I, I knew you you were up against it is is the next in selection yeah, terms in, uh, in the next morning we, we get, all get woken up wake up wake up Emergency meeting and all this. Wake up, wake up. So you're there and you've had a, a late night sort of thing like that and you're finishing the early hours of the morning you sort of come down into the meeting room you sort of like, completely, this, this is not the norm sort of thing like that. It's day after an international, so you should have a bit of a lay-in or quiet day and all this. Or summer there and there's Clive and I'm still wiping the sleep out of my eyes. I've only got in sort of half an hour or whatever earlier or something like that. And Clive's gone into one. And fair play to Clive. He's just gone, uh, he's gone, right. He goes, we have uh, three problems. Uh, three issues, and I want them sorted. And I want them sorted by you lot. He said, first one. And he goes, and I'll start off with what I think is the least serious. And he goes, we were staying in the, the cliff in uh, in Joburg. It's, it's cut out of a, a cliff, this hotel. So you, to get up the top, you need golf buggies. And he said, right, someone came in late last night and obviously has forgotten or just didn't even bother to put their handbrake on so a golf buggy has gone all the way down the mountain and it's currently sitting in the bedroom of room 121. <laughs> so it's actually smashed through the wall and it's sitting in the bedroom. He goes, I want to find out who was driving that buggy. So you like, okay, that's the first one. He goes, secondly, he goes, there's an irate father in the reception claiming that his 18-year-old daughter's been kidnapped. And I'm sitting there going, and this is only number two. This is only number two. (laughs) So he's, Clive's gone, please find his daughter and return (laughs) her to the father in the reception. Uh, So I'm there going, I can't wait to see. What's number three? What's number three? But number three was, he said, when Nelson Mandela was obviously uh, brought out of uh, incarceration in uh, Robben Island, he actually stayed in the cliff as part of his rehabilitation back into into life. And he was so taken by everyone and, and this. So he actually went and bought, or, or on behalf of the government, when he became president, this fantastic decanter that was worth, I mean, not thousands, I mean, tens and tens and tens of thousands. And not only did he just buy that, he filled it up with Napoleonic brandy or something like that. So it was worth another tens and tens of thousands of dollars but then also had it inscribed, a silver thing around it. But actually, and it's signed by Nelson Mandela in this silver. Noise. And he said, this sits, pride of place, in the hotel behind reception. At basically five o'clock this morning, it's been stolen. <laughs> I want you to find that decanter. So we've all gone off like, uh, like literally like rats. And I'm with Lowell, and I, I said to Lowell, I said, right, I'll, I'll go sort out the uh, I'll go sort out the buggy, you go sort out the other two. So he went knocking, I found the buggy. We we still couldn't find out, honestly, if it was, we thought it was Matt Dawson and and Austin Healy or it could have been you and Gruy. (laughs) But we, what we did, we got the golf cart out and all this, yeah. and all. so we, we sorted it all out. And all of a sudden I saw Lawrence. So Lawrence said he went round. So the only, you're looking round the room and say, well, who wasn't in here today? Who wasn't in the meeting? So they know. And it became blatantly obvious that Flats wasn't there and neither was Danny Grucott <laughs> So I think Lowell sort of knocked on the door sort of on the room that they're sharing as well and sort of opens the door. What's, what's up, what's up? And Lowell's gone, right, first of all, she's got to go back to the reception. <laughs> And, and secondly, have you seen the decanter? And I think Gruy's saying, oh, I don't, I don't know about a decanter. And I think I was going, what's that on the bedside cabinet over there? <laughs> but the problem with the decanter was in one piece, which was fine. Not one drop of Napoleon <laughs> brandy that was in it. So did you have to actually get some tea bags and fill it oh, up Oh, shit, Jason,
2: <laughs> Firstly, all right, firstly... You can't drink the tap water there because you're in in Jo'burg, and there, the bar was shut. So couldn't get any tap, couldn't get any bottled water. So the Napoleonic brandy was all we had uh, for survival. And when when Jace rightly called this person an 18 year old girl, I was she was I was only 20 though, so it wasn't yeah, as no, bad no, as it yeah, sounds. Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm 38 yeah. now, but I wasn't no. 38 then. I was only 20. And anyway, define kidnap. Do you know what I mean? So it's, oh, no, like, no, no, it's no, no no no
6: no 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 no. Actually, now thinking about it. I do remember why the father thought it was kidnapped. Don't you remember? Because I think her car had a sunroof and someone threw her bag at oh, the sunroof. Oh,
2: shit, yeah. Also...
6: That's why also. the father thought she was kidnapped because <laughs> her handbag was on the motorway, the, bit, the
2: yeah. M64. Yeah, they, they technically found some ID on the M2, whatever it was. I mean, it was an accident. That, anyway, that was Julian White, not me. Um, but uh, there are lots of... There's a lot of stuff went on that night. Um... But basically, yeah, it, the, the one, the, the, a million details you could add to it, but you don't need to because that's perfect. But when Lawrence came to find me and Danny in our room, he knocked on the door and I opened the door completely innocently thinking someone's banging hard on the door. Must be so. I opened the door and the first thing Lawrence says was, What the fuck are you wearing? And I was wearing all of her clothes. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, first tour, 20, and my dad, my dad, who will be listening to this, sorry, dad, my dad, who is a psychologist, a child psychologist, this is honestly what he said, so I spoke to my dad before we went on tour, you know, because I had a mobile phone, but I couldn't use it from country to country, too expensive, that sort of stuff, and uh, my dad just said, please, please, don't fuck it up, (laughs) and I was just standing there thinking, of my dad thinking, oh, shit, this is it, (laughs)
4: this is it. You uh, you did marry very young, though, didn't you? Um, (laughs) you 20. I... (laughs) I remember the first tour as well, your first tour, because um, he came back and we go like to, to Bluestone shopping and he'd Blue be, Water, Blue that's Water, that's the one, that's the one, um, and Lakeside, is it Lakeside as well? Yeah, and he'd be flat out in England tracksuit, like oh, just go, no. just go <laughs> <and> shopping. <laughs> Top to toe, go and shop Shanks
2: used to do like when he did it with press because he was going over to Wales then and all the press and he relentlessly called me Darren Flatman in all the interviews. <laughs> oh, because they're like, they're like, Sir, how's training? I live with Darren Flatman. I, we didn't ask who you live with, mate. Never heard of him. And it was Darren Flatman, Darren Flatman until one day the Western Daily Mail or whatever it was printed Tom Shanks, prop Darren Flatman. It was the best, the best day of Shanks's life. He cut it out and put it on our notice board in Stoke Uintern. Like, the best bro, thing right?
4: we ever uh, about living together was I, I can't believe he actually asked me. He, he had to ring his mum to ask her how to cook a bacon sandwich. <laughs> like That's actually true. That's I, actually
2: a joke. Look
4: at yeah, the I, size I, of you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> how do you know how to cook a No, a, a lot of bacon sandwich. sandwiches.
2: I just didn't cook them. I didn't cook them. Unfortunately, I wasn't, um, I wasn't the best prepared human being for the real world when I, when I landed in it. But it was all right because I lived with, um, among other people, when I first joined Saracens, I lived with Paulie, who you met earlier, who's the world's most resourceful man. He's like, you know, top boy scout. MacGyver. Yeah, and um, I also live with George Shooter. Lots of you will know who George Shooter is. Played hooker for England 40-odd times. Played for Tigers and Sarri's for years and Tigers for years. And I live with George, and George is a deeply... He'll be listening to this now. He's a deeply... Well, not now. It's not live. He'll be listening to this. He's a deeply, deeply weird human being. (laughs) His eyes are too close together. He's got, like, one of those comedy noses you buy at the shop. He's got that. Always waiting for him to take it off. Um, But he cooked every night and cleaned all the dishes and did everything. He hated me and... Dave Thompson, who now handles all the recruitment at Bath, there were three of us sort of lived together, and he absolutely hated us. George is like proper alpha, aggressive, doesn't talk, plays computer games with the curtains off on his days off, and he was like the funniest guy in the world at the club. He was crazy. Georgie was crazy, wouldn't he? Get him home. He hates everyone. Shuts the curtains. So I sort of grew up with that, but I I didn't have to feed myself. So I finally end up. He came back one day. By the way, this is complete complete tangent. But George used to hate, I won't say what he, it was inappropriate, you can't use the language these days. But I remember him coming home and the day he finally lost his temper with me and Tomo was when he came home from training and we were upstairs under his duvet eating haagen watching a film. <laughs> George lost the fucking plot, he went absolutely mad. He tore up the duvet and it was his job, it was his job to mow the lawn and he went mad in this room because he was sick of us being so soft. And we he looked out there and it was his job to mow the lawn and we'd gone out there early without. We weren't allowed to mow the lawn, because It's George's job, and we'd just done a big like knob with balls in the lawn. <laughs> George, we're absolutely apeshit. He went so mad that he smashed the electricity meter off the wall and everything. He hated us. I think he likes us now.
4: Um, I think we'll take a short break now. We like we like to have a on break that. on a high, on a on a high, on a on a, on a, on a story about mowing grass. So. Uh, <laughs> Have a five minute break. Uh, I've got a toilet, get a drink in, and we'll come back in a little while. Thank you. Right. While Flats has just whizzed off, still with that IBS problem, I think, it is better the week time. And this week we will be betting on Six Nations. So we are going to go for the France v Ireland game. And we are betting Ireland to win in Stade de France by six points or more. So get on it. Um, Terms and conditions do apply. All the money that we raise during these bets go to Children in Need. Good luck to you.
1: Welcome back to part two,
4: ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> hey. Oh, Token House, welcome back. I've got to bring you down to bring you back up. We're in a That's Token
2: House. We're in a Token House, so we're all going to feel really funny now since Shank said that. Jesus Christ. So um, we're going to ask you guys in a minute to stick your hands up if you want to. We've got Paulie over there on the roaming mic. We've got a load of questions from email. We've got a load of questions on social media we can rattle through. Um, but before we do that, before we go to the questions, Paolo because Paolo's got one for me straight away. We're just going to quickly, before we get on to it, we're going to talk to Jason quickly about the World Cup in 2003. And it was something that everyone in the room except you watch from a distance. Um, but it, tell us a little bit about the... Because obviously we talked about sort of 93 Lions and the dynamic in that squad. I'm guessing, while you guys are very tight, it was a very different vibe in 2003, because things got pretty serious pretty quick. So... What was the kind of dynamic like? What was that group like? And ultimately, did it did winning that World Cup change your life? Is something that always interests me.
6: Um, <clears throat> I, I don't know about it. It, yeah. It must. It must, in some aspect, most probably changing your life. That bit, I, I think, um, you just become recognisable. I mean, even with the body shape and stuff like that. But yeah. then, people. I always remember the first. It, it, After the Rugby World Cup, when we come back, there was a rake of dinners. So I think Lawrence DeLalio had a couple, Neil Back had a couple, Dorian West had a couple, Matt Dawson had a couple, all testimonial dinners and all this. So you're always going at a black tie dinner and all this. And I always remember walking into one of them and there's a husband and wife there, it's black tie bash. And this husband stopped me with his missus next to him. He said, Mr. Leonard, I just want to shake your hand. Thank you for the best day of my life. And literally, his wife has stood next to him and just (laughs) smashed him on the sort of arm and the chest. And he's gone, what, what, what? And she's turned around and she's gone, what about our wedding day? And what about the birth of our two beautiful daughters? And he went, darling, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry. And he's still shaking my hand. he said, as I said, the best day of my life. (laughs) So... So I was in the domestic straight away. So then like, I like... Th- I think that's most what... Again, what it means to other people and stuff. Like that. that That's the game changer. And people will always know where they was. Some people were hiding behind the couch. Some people had to take the dog for a walk and, and stuff like that because it was so fraught and stuff. Um, I mean, but that group was quite tight. Um, for different reasons, the, with the Lions, we, we'd gone through hard times together. Winning games, losing games. We lost Grand Slams along the way. People forget that, that... They talk about the grand slam of 2003, and then the, that two-year run into the World Cup, beating Australia, beating New Zealand away, South Africa in 2000, uh, and then the, the games. And it was it was a little bit like it was ours to lose, to a certain degree.
2: Did it feel like that? Did you feel confident that yeah. you were going to go and win it? Yeah, yeah
6: we did. I, I, and that's not cocky. That's We'd beaten everybody in, in that sort of 18 months, so there, well, there wasn't anyone there that... We we felt particularly worried about on our day, and, and I mean, all rugby's like that on your day. Um, but for me, I, I think if you have a look at the makeup of that squad, we, we had certain players lost family, lost kids, so there, there was bigger things going on than just rugby. Um, family were real and stuff like that at the time, and and that squad pulled together and and helped our mates. It was one of that so it wasn't just the rugby and the games and the. The highs and lows is what's going on in people's personal lives as well and stuff like that. And it was tight. And I mean, even as you say, it, you're still having fun. I mean, there, there's, a, there's a great one, that that um, 2003 game down at uh, the Millennium Stadium where we played the game, but the function was back at the stadium. So we went back to the St. David's Hotel, Hotel yeah. and um, come back into town afterwards. Now, if anyone knows... Cardiff after an international it's like the Wild West it's like the Wild West and it's great fun and, and 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 I did sort of question whoever decided to do this why do this because we're going through Cardiff now in a massive traffic so you're not moving you're mostly moving about three miles an hour we've got this bus that has got this great big rose and fucking England written all the way down the side of it so once you go past chip chip alley you're getting nothing but bags of chips and kebabs no. and everything's being thrown at the bus. And we're getting abused in this, that and the other. And uh, I always remember sort of Neil Back next to me. There was one bloke abusing Neil Back about something or other, and Neil Back's just looking at him going, "That big short dick? Is it, is it that big? Is it that big? So then, and this bloke's going mad. And, and then some bloke started playing chicken with the, the, the bus. And he's playing, he's jumping in front of the bus, he's jumping out of the way of the bus, he's jumping in front of the bus, he's jumping out of the bus, sort of thing like this. But what he didn't realise, because he's obviously pissed, this bus has got great big overhanging sort of wing mirrors like this and about the third or fourth time he did it fucking smashed straight into his wing mirror Night, night. this bloke's on the floor there's claret everywhere so we've all we've all pulled off the bus yeah. we've all pulled off the bus and it's not very often you see Martin Johnson as the calm, collected one. So he's trying to calm everyone down and going, look, mate, are you come here and all this, and his mate's pissed, going, he did that on purpose. He's going, did it on purpose? He's, he's been playing chicken with a fucking bus for eight times. So then I didn't do it on purpose and this and the other. I'm standing, Jono's trying to get everyone back on the bus. Like, guys, guys, calm down. Look, we don't want an incident, calm down. I'm standing over this bloke who's now got claret all over his face, laying on the floor, and I'm going... Did that hurt? That looked like if that hurt. Did that hurt? (laughs) (laughs) Did that hurt? Something like that. And it was just one of these ones, but but like funny things like that. that You you actually still remember that. That night, Johnny Wilkinson didn't want to come out for a beer because he went, well, after the carnage that has just been before the dinner, like not in a million years, I went, no, everyone's gone back now. So it would just be Cardiff. It would be fine noise. We went out and we had a great night. We went to a couple of the bars. Everyone, again, appreciated the game and stuff like that. And that's what makes those games special yeah the the win and stuff like that but the the memories that go with it as well and stuff like that and and we had during that season that that 18 months i'm pretty sure you could remember something of each game and, and afterwards and the beers and the camaraderie and the crack and stuff like that and that went all the way through to the world cup in 2003 i mean i still laugh that all the aussie press that used to hate us um used to stand as we was leaving the stadiums, they'd all stand on the corner of the where the, the exit is for the, the buses for the players. And of course they're all calling us dad's army and all this. And literally, as we get past, we'd all start singing, Who do you think <laughs> you are kidding, <laughs> Mr. Hitler? If you think old England's done. And we'd be blasting out, and you can see the English press on this side pissing themselves Not laughing. It, yeah. All the Australian on this side going, What's so funny about that? What's yeah. so funny about <laughs> that?
2: One thing that always one thing that always interests me was. I was a very young kid and I was on there. I got to come for a test week with the England team, right? There was no club game at Sarri's. So you were playing and Vix was playing and I think Phil Greening was playing and John O'Neill's guys whatever, playing against Ireland at Twickenham. And I, I knew, of course, Paul Wallace was playing and he was recently back from the Lions and he was being called the best tighthead in the world. He probably was at that point or close to it. And I remember just being... I wasn't playing. I was unbelievably nervous. And if you'd got injured, I still wouldn't have been playing. I was just there to learn the ropes, you know, and see what it was like. And being on the bus, I was unbelievably nervous. i would never been nervous my whole, you know, ever since I started playing as a kid. And I remember thinking, God, bloody hell, how does Jace do it? How does he cope with these nerves and that sort of stuff? And I remember looking at you on the bus and he just winked at me and he said, all right, son. I said, yeah, but I thought you were calm as that. And then Phil Vickery walked past and I was about I said, sort of, after you, Vic, he goes, no, go on, boy, after you, mate, you know, sort of super chill. This is an like hour and 20 minutes before kickoff. And I was blown away by it. And it, I've always wondered, you wake up on World Cup final day, and I know you've got a ton of caps by then, you had a ton of caps by the World Cup final, but you wake up on that day, are you bricking it? Are you looking forward to it? Is it are you looking forward to it, excited, or is it just another Saturday and it's time for breakfast?
6: <clears throat> you're not you're not breaking it I'd say you're, you're looking forward to it you're excited by it you're not um, you're not you're not worried it's definitely not another day That that's for sure because of the late kickoff, you had a big lay-in as well so that's a some people still get up very early I was there fine no you have a big lay-in because it's a, a long day sort of thing like that um, we, meetings were all fine it was pretty calm and relaxed I always laugh with Clive, Clive me and Clive had a deal I was 36 at the time and our warm-ups for games were getting longer and longer. We had a, a great fitness guy called Dave Reddin, And uh, obviously, great nickname, Otis. I mean, that was really well thought through, that, weren't it? Otis Redding. <laughs> uh, but this guy was brilliant and uh, absolutely fantastic. And actually, most probably one of the unsung heroes within that, along with the coaches and all this. But he was brilliant for us. And uh, all, our, all our warm-ups for these games now were getting longer and longer. It started off, it would be a half-an-hour warm-up. Then it was 45 minutes. Then it was getting up to about just a, under an hour. And I remember saying to Clive before the World Cup, I said, Clive, I've got to have a word about these warm-ups. And he went, What's that? So look, I'm thirty-six years of age. I can do the warm-up or I can do the game. I can't do both. <laughs> and and fair play to Clive, he just went, Jace, you do what you want to do. So sort of then like that. So you do all the warm-ups and you go ah. Right. Okay. Great. Lovely. I'm done. Thanks. <laughs> doing a little bit of a jerry. Doing a little bit of a jerry. And and literally, you see the guys, well, you know, no, I'm done. I'm done. I'm fine. I'm just going to go back in the changing room now. No, fine. Brilliant. Let like you so, do that. It's nice. Yeah. Of that. Let, yeah. You let you do it. So, but there, was there any nerves? No, not really. Jono didn't say a great deal before the game. he um, Didn't need to. Not that he says much anyway. He don't know many, no. many words. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and 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 again, you're in a final. You're in a you're in a final. So. There's not much that needed to be said. So, uh, most probably, the, the 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 big surprise for us was, which is a true story, the referee Andre uh, Watson, who played such a pivotal role in that final. Like all referees, comes into the changing room before the game, and actually says, "Right, this is what I want today," and all this. And we actually asked him, and we said, "We think Australia's so weak in the forwards in at scrum time. We want to take them on," and we. We don't, want to be, we don't want you to be conned into giving penalties because the Australians at that time were very canny about being very passive and so you'd hit through the mark and they'd go backwards and everything like that. And and the reason why is that they'd quite happily do that and get a free kick because they might not have got the ball anyway in their own time. Yeah, yeah. So um, we, we're trying to say that to the referee. And he's always been a good ref. He's, he's very much a, uh, a yes sir, no sir, three bags full ref. You don't say anything to him, even if he's just made an absolute howler in front of you just go good good decision sir sort of thing like that it's you can't say anything to this guy because he's a proper real disciplinarian and um and he come and he said guys no he goes I won't give away any penalties at all he goes I'll only give away penalties as long as I, I can see it and I can put my mortgage on it that's what he said to us so he we went great and he actually did do that for about the first 30, maybe 40 minutes, and then it started going a bit awry after that. Yeah, he did, yeah. And there's a true bit, so that last scrum that you see of the 80 minutes, where actually he banged Trevor Woodman for not going down in the scrum, which actually only was a free-kick offence, but because he was so pissed off with Trevor Woodman, he gave him a proper penalty, sort of straight arm, so it's three points. But as the scrum come up, Steve Thompson, who's not the brightest of people, (laughs) <laughs> Actually, had a dig at the referee with this in the back of the mind, as in won't give away a penalty unless I can put my mortgage on it. Steve Thompson's just turned around to Andre Watson and said, Tell you what, ref, you must have a fucking shit house. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we wonder why the That's referee amazing. weren't on our side. That's <laughs> <amazing>. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know, you played against 16. I don't know Paulie, um, we, we're going to come to some questions. Yeah, Someone's
2: going to say, we've got a load yeah. on Twitter as well. But Paulie had a question first, didn't you? Well, oh, no, that's more of a complaint. Do you want Are a complaint? Gonna, yeah, somebody registered a complaint with Paulie. Yeah, there were the
3: three people at the front uh, who were sitting in front of Shanks. No longer there. Moved. They're not there because he stinks of piss. <laughs>
2: <laughs> cat, pi- cat piss, apparently. You- <laughs> actually, yeah. actually, it's funny you should mention that, Paulie. Shanks actually does smell of piss, but he smells of. <laughs> he actually genuinely smells of dog piss because he got, because we were filming this thing this morning and we were over at uh, Mike Tindall's house and Mike and Zara have got about 38 dogs and 37 staff and 38 dogs and Shanks has got this lovely blue like, puffer jacket that he wears around the place. He's really chuffed with it. It's quite new. And he left it down and we, he's sitting upstairs he's, and he's, got, he's walked in from the car park earlier and he's like, something smells funny and he takes his jacket off. He's been wearing it. It's been raining as well. So it's seeped in a little bit. And a couple of tins his dogs are in season, and I think they're getting a bit funny about smells. <laughs> <laughs> and they, they pissed on his coat. <laughs> uh, pissed on it, and it's gone through to his shoulder, but he do not want to take his jumper off.
4: Because he thinks it ruins his look. Thanks, Dave. Same dog that piss in your mouth, I think. <laughs> right, we've got a uh, question at uh, the yeah, back here. See, uh, we got any questions? questions. Hi, guys. Yeah. Um, just Hi. Uh,
2: uh, fascinated by the, uh, like the psychology of someone like Jase, who's been there and done it for so long... Um, how do you think you were motivated? Was that fear of failure, like negative motivation, or was it, fuck it, I'm going to have all this, um, no one can stop me type thing? How did you get to the top and stay there for
4: so long? Good question.
6: Um, I, I wouldn't say fear of failure, uh, only because I think sometimes you, you, you can become paralyzed by fear like that. I know what you mean, which that is a big spur in a lot of sports people. Um, mine was actually a, a far more basic emotion that. I, I didn't want to let anyone down. And when I say anyone Dan, it's your teammates, then it's your family and friends. And and again you can take that to so many different levels where you say you, you remember the first teacher that that made an effort and sort of took you somewhere to a trial or whatever it would be and, and stuff like that. You you represent if you're pulling on your national shirt or the British and Irish Lions shirt, you're 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 representing the aspirations and the dreams of millions of people that would give their right arm to be in that shirt. And, and sometimes people talk about the shirt. And, and again, that's another emotive thing as well. When you, sort of, you see players, they grab the badge. Whilst, again, I think the shirt is very important. And to me, the badge is very important. The most important thing is what beats beneath the badge. If you've got a big heart there, you want players like that in your team. If you've got a small heart, you won't be playing in that team very long. And that was the most important thing for me was... Making sure that I got the respect of my teammates, the respect of the opposition that you're playing against, that's what I wanted most out of the game. Win, lose, or draw, doesn't matter after that. As long as I get that. If we all play well enough, you hope you get the win. Doesn't always happen, but that's what I always—that's how I played the game. That's how I always saw myself as looking at it.
2: Lovely, great question as well. Uh so, yep, another one over the back there, Paolo. Cheers.
4: <coughs> Hi. You said something interesting. Hi, Hi there. You're right. <laughs> oh, I lost one. No, we got it. We got it. Um, you said something interesting earlier about how failure as a Lions coach is the ultimate blot on a copybook of a coach. So, given that Clive Woodward presided over the greatest Lions shit show of modern era,
2: hey, he also won a World Cup, mate. He, didn't, he <laughs> went.
4: How much of that World Cup win was down to an amazing group of players, and how much of it was down to the sort of slightly eccentric management style?
6: Um, I, I, I think there is a a real partnership in there. I've got to say this now that um, I, I, I think with Clive in 2005, we, we most probably was all a little bit caught up with what happened in 2003. And again, it doesn't come around that easy. That took us six years, seven years to get to that stage in 2003. Clive tried to replicate that in six or seven weeks. It just—it wasn't going to happen. And again, as I said, you've got to look at New Zealand as the ultimate. It's not—it's it, different than South Africa and it's different than Australia. So <clears throat> I really felt for him there in, in that aspect. But was it a, a, a real partnership? Yeah, it was. I mean, I think sometimes we all get a little bit carried away and we, we look back at it with rose-tinted glasses and stuff like that, and you're thinking, "Oh yeah, but it was this, that, and the other." Everyone played their part. That's what I would—I would like to think in that—that that 2003. Players, the coaches, as I said, the one guy earlier, uh, Dave Reddin. I mean, he doesn't get that much of a mention, but he played just a instrumental part of some some of the other coaches and some of the players. I mean, we we had, uh, again, and that's Clive's quirky style, we had a guy who would come in and cook food for us. We had a chef from the Penny Hill Park. Dave used to come in and do all our meals, where you think that's a little bit OTT. You go, well, actually, if you, you tour around the world... And, and someone like Martin Johnson, who's a extremely basic person in many, many ways. <laughs> um, but Martin Johnson, on a Friday night, all he wants to eat is spaghetti bolognese. That is it. No matter where he is in the world. Now, that's not a problem when you're in Rome on a Friday night playing the Azuri on Saturday. You, you, you're guaranteed you're going to get a good meal. If you're in Fiji... And and the bowl comes out and it's a it's a, a tortoise shell. <laughs> Even though there might be spaghetti bolognese in there, it ain't gonna taste the same. I can tell you that now. <laughs> so so the chef come in and would prepare all our food for us. All bits and little bits and pieces like that that all make a difference. So we all we all played a part. I would say.
4: Uh, bolognese should be served with tagliatelle as well because it, it's a pasta that soaks up the meat. Shut up, sake. <laughs> <with fat laughs> <of meat. laughs>
6: But just going, back to, just going
4: back to the 05, with Clive, Clive obviously was coach of the Lions in 05, right? And he tried to do something similar to what he did with England. So with England, like he had you play, he had you guys for a long, long time. So you roomed on your own, didn't you, in the World Cup? Now he tried to bring that into the Lions in the basis that what's the obstacle to full recovery? That's sleep. So in order to sleep well on your own, uh, to sleep better, you sleep on your own. So we didn't room with anyone through that tour. We roomed on our own. and. It's difficult with the Lions because you get a week together. So we had a week together, and then we did some great team bonding stuff. Um, we had a canvas each, which we had to create, which formed this massive picture, <laughs> and that was it.
5: <laughs> and then,
4: uh, and then we, you go out to New Zealand, and you're all rooming on your own, and it's it's quite boring because you know after after you've you've trained, you've you've done your analysis, you might have watched a movie in the team, you go upstairs. And normally that's when you start to get to know each other because you know for like an hour or two in your own room, bed, chatting. There's nothing, nothing at all. And I'm maintaining the amount of boys that needed glasses when they came back from that <laughs> from that tour. Not me. Bloody I'm Bloody hell! Um, uh, but right,
2: we got. Is it Matt at the back? Yeah, it's Matt. Is it? We met earlier at the bar. Yeah, yeah Matt. Cheers. Hi, Matt. You look very
5: smart.
2: <laughs> uh. <Cheers>. Ask, <laughs> hi. <laughs> ask a question with you. <laughs> uh,
6: this was specifically for Jason. Um, as somebody who's been at the top end of the RFU, who realistically do you think could follow
2: Eddie Jones after 2019, but also work with him?
6: Uh, I mean, that's, that's quite a good, uh, good question. I think, um, I think all the coaches that he's got there at this moment in time, they've all got the ability to go further. Um, whether he'll look at bringing someone from outside in, I don't think that's necessarily a bad idea as well. I mean, at some point, you would love to see, personally, you have a look at some of our, our club coaches, them to get sort of dragged in on a, a sort of year's basis, see if they could cut it as well. Some, someone for me that I think is doing a fantastic job, whether he'd make the move because he's doing so well would most probably be a Rob Baxter to see get him involved in that setup he might actually say it's not for me and and stuff like that but again you you've got people like Borthers and 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 those guys guzzy they're all good coaches it's now making sure that eddie in that transitional period again eddie finds someone that he can go that is the person to take it forward and and that's quite a big ask i mean eddie's been a success i mean one thing about Eddie I will say is this coming match, the, the Italian match, is most probably one of the tougher games he's, he's, he's going to have because he's got so many injuries. He's, he's been quite lucky. He's had injuries to world-class players like a Vina Pola to a Laghi. We, we've not seen him for, for a while, but he's got so many at this moment in time. So it will be a real challenge to see how they cope with the game on Sunday. I've got to say that now, and that will be a, a test of his character as well. But do I see them being other coaches coming in? Yeah, definitely. Maybe from outside coming in as well. But I'd still like him to be replaced by an Englishman. I've got to say that now. I really do.
4: I suppose probably got like if someone like Rob Baxter takes that position and it doesn't go well, where does he go from there? You know, he's got a great job at Exeter. You know, he's, yeah. he's going to go back down and, and have to and start he, again. And he's
6: especially. made no no, no He's sec- he's made no secret here. <laughs> He's he's made no secret. I, I think he feels very much so that there's still a job to do yeah. at Exeter. Yeah. And okay, they won the Premiership the other year, and, and they, they want to go on into Europe and this and the other. So again, it, 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 what he'll he'll do, Eddie's he's a character, and he'll be thinking completely out of the box and stuff like that. But you could see Eddie bringing people in from outside to say, "Well, let's see what they if they can cut it in that international environment." And that's the skill set that I think he has. He will, he will pick someone who will make, I think, a, a very good fist of it. I think he will.
2: And you, you know, it's going to be someone we weren't expecting. That's what I always like about Eddie Jones because you don't quite know what's coming next. And you know, I sort of it'll be Boris Johnson or someone, won't it? That's all coming. <laughs> it'll be like John Major, it'll be like director of rugby or a system. But it's, it's a, it's a fascinating one because it's easy to say, well, you got these three coaches, you got. Guzzy and you've got Neil Hatley and you've got Bothers, and all that and they're great coaches and they're clearly great coaches. Look at the results and the guys say amazing things about them. So one of them deserves a promotion and it's it's not about deserves all the time. It's partly to do with that. But actually it's about how different that job is because what they do now is I I happen to know they work brutally hard, those coaches. So you think oh, I've got ten, twelve, thirteen games a year, how hard can it be? They their schedules are brutal. It is very, very aggressive workload that Eddie Jones you know, sort of demands of them. But that's fine, because they're all mega hard-working blokes. They always were. But actually, what you're asking them to do in Eddie's job is a similar workload, but they, they effectively become, yes, they're coaches, they're, an, they're analysts. They're also steering the ship. They're not just looking after their little unit, so it's much broader, which means they can't give the area... They've always given the detail and the focus, the detail and the focus anymore. They have to look at other stuff. So they've got to withdraw from what they know and love best, but also you effectively become a media personality. So I've known, you know, I know Hatz and Guzzi were well very effervescent guys and has is great value when you know him well. But I've known Borthas since we were kids and he doesn't, you know, doesn't particularly enjoy all that stuff. Maybe he'd be fantastic at it if he took the job and he, whatever it was, and bought into it. But you're, t- you're talking about a completely different job. So how often do you see Steve Borthwick hosting a press conference? You just don't see it. Because Eddie might say to him, do you want to do it? And he'll say, no, Thanks doesn't want the fame, doesn't want the attention, doesn't want the profile, just happy to work his ass off without anyone seeing or knowing about it. And you're becoming a public figure. You know? So it's, a, it's more than just who's a good enough coach. It's public speaking, it's handling the media, and it's a completely different world. Uh, so it was a fascinating time. Yes, mate? Could be you. Um,
3: so Jason mentioned earlier, transition from 93 to 97 in terms of professionalism. Question for all three of you. Who's the person with had the shittest attitude to training, to diet,
2: to, you know, whatever, but still managed to cut it on a Saturday afternoon? Well, I guess, Jace, I guess in the, in the amateur days, there would have been a, probably a good number or a greater number of lads who were just mega talented. But, of course, when everyone's pro and everyone's in mega shape and they're brilliant at defending and they're, they're training full-time to stop people playing well, things get, you know, things get tougher for those players who haven't put the work in. I mean, there are always some, there are always some. I mean, there, are, there are mega pros that everyone knows about. So the guys like, you know, just playing it sort of, you know, someone like Lawrence, all right, Lawrence likes a night out. But fuck, did he train? You know, did he train unbelievably hard? And I remember watching, I was injured and watching fitness training and it was the second rows and back rows. And you got Jono, massive bloke, you know, not, he wouldn't be brilliant in the gym or anything like that, but massive bloke, absolutely flat out at the front of fitness you know, and you've got Neil Back, who is just an absolute machine. Richard Hill, machine. These sorts of guys. But there is there is the odd guy, I expect, that just gets by. Um, but there aren't, I wouldn't say there are too many at the top of the game now that don't work their asses off.
6: Not in the professional... In the amateur area, yeah. I mean, I, my, the, the one that would spring to mind would be Dean Richards. I mean, Dean Richards was world-class, one of the best number eights that you, you'll ever get. But his idea of... His idea of a warm-up before a game would literally... He would go into the toilet with a programme and have a dump. <laughs> he would come back out. He would literally throw the programme on the floor. He would bend over, touch his toes three times, and he'd go, great, that's it, I'm ready. <laughs> that was it, and that was it. And it. But he would still go out and play. Absolutely amazing. But it's, it's also the stuff that you don't see. That's the other side of it as well. So that might be the, the warm-up. But Dino used to train, or he used yeah. to tell us. He used yeah. to tell us he used to train. But, but you know um,
2: but there will always be guys that are naturally gifted, genetically gifted or whatever. But what happens is we will, people like you and I, will watch games and we will say, "Well, he's talking about he or he or she. They're just genetically gifted, they're naturally gifted, natural talent. And I always think, well, that's definitely true of a lot of players. It's also an insult to a lot of players. So if you look at the current England team, you've got Anthony Watson, guaranteed first choice, first-choice Lions player. The genetics on that guy are crazy. But what you don't see is that he's not just a born athlete who's luckily really good, works his arse off. So you pop in and do the odd feature for the telly and you see these guys training and you see them in the gym 45 minutes before the gym session starts, priming their bodies to lift weights. They're doing 45 minutes prep to lift weights for 30 minutes. Then they're having a rest and they're drinking this and taking this and they're prepping to go on the field and run. It's relentless, it's absolutely relentless. And guys like Cipriani, Danny Cipriani, who splits opinion in terms of his personality or whatever. But as a player, it kind of doesn't split opinion really. In in attack at least, he doesn't split opinion. Wonderful, wonderful player. But what people don't people look at him and say, well he's got the talent, hasn't got the attitude. So you speak to guys, whether they like him or not, pretty much I've never heard anyone say he isn't one of the hardest trainers I've ever seen. Absolutely trains his arse off. And you look at the rig on him, you know, look at the shape on him. He trains unbelievably hard. And guys like Ollie Barkley that I played with for years and played, whatever, 30-odd times for England, whatever it was, at 10 and 12, known for being a bit of a lad on the piss and a bit, you know, loose here and there, unbelievably professional guys. So they're just... The truth is, if you're talking about genuinely successful players, there just aren't that many that don't work unbelievably
4: hard. So that's, that's the truth of it. W- uh, what's your answer? Neil Back, um, Richard Hill, Lawrence Alaglio... Anthony Watson, Danny Cipriani,
2: or Ollie Barkley?
5: Uh,
4: what was the question? <laughs> Paul Wallace. Paul Wallace would be one for us as well, wouldn't it? Especially when we were young. Um, Wally, oh, could, oh Wally could drink God. with the best of them. Like, yeah, but
2: Wally was massive and shredded, exactly. and unbelievably strong and explosive and fit and skilled. He was like, he was an absolute freak. And you'd go out with him on a Wednesday night, he used to come round for coffee. And it was like, you want, a coffee? you want a coffee, come around for a coffee. And you're like, don't want a coffee, it's half nine. And he'd like make himself a coffee and he's like, let's pop out for a beer. <laughs> and I was like, I don't want a beer, it's 10 o'clock, I don't want a beer. I'm training tomorrow, I'm 18 and 19. No one else to go out with him. I was shit scared of him because he was like a legend and I was a kid. So he used to basically make me go out. And I remember once, genuinely, going out with Wally after training on a Wednesday. We went out for a sandwich, right? And he would, we went out, we were, we were boozing for 30 hours. <laughs> Thirty hours. So I, I, had a full night's sleep. This, you, I had a full night's sleep in Eros nightclub in Enfield. I slept. I slept for like seven and a half hours overnight.
4: And woke he he up, was Wally's, horrific, wasn't
2: he? Wally's pissed. He's got some bloke in some. I don't know some bloke who was going shopping at B and Q with his family. I
6: don't know, <laughs> drinking at the bar, and he woke me up and kept me going. I was eighteen years old. But, he was shredded. Um, I saw him last year at a, a, a function in uh, the South of France, and. That was the, the function. I saw him only briefly there. And then the next morning, getting going, and Wally's meant to come by and pick me up in a car. And literally, all of a sudden, this, this random bloke just come along, and said, uh, Mr. Leonard, I went, yeah, turn turned around. He's literally got Wally draped over his shoulder. He's gone, I, I believe he's yours. He goes, I've looked after him all fucking night. <laughs> and I went like, I said, you can fuck off. I've looked after him for 20 years. <laughs> fuck yeah, right Exactly. Off. Something
3: like that.
2: Never known anyone you, like it until I met... Mind you, he, unbelievable drinking athlete, Lashley, but I, but you, but you, Jase and Lowell would drink considerably more than Wally, but you just weren't paralytic after four pints. <laughs> Wally was an absolute lightweight.
4: He'd like that, he, he'd, yeah, he'd, yeah, he'd bollocks after three he? or four
2: pints, bollocks. But he would have another seventeen
4: of them. <laughs> it was just unbelievable. I will tell you, one in Wales was a, was a nightmare. Mike Phillips. Now he would, he'd love parting, loved it, and he would just go out. Booze up, getting fights outside McDonald's, the lot. But but like they've all said, he would turn up the next day and he would train as hard as he could. And I always remember we we had a few beers. Um, we got and we stayed in Heathrow night before we flew to New Zealand, right? So we had a few beers in the night at the hotel. And we got uh, we got to the plane then the next day, uh, checked our luggage in, got up the steps of the plane, and the air hostess goes to him, Are you are you business class or first class? And he goes, Love, I'm world class. <laughs> Does not lack confidence that way. Did anybody ever see?
2: Uh, did anybody ever see Mike Phillips? Mike Phillips did the best tweet ever that's ever been on Twitter when Twitter was quite new, and he was playing uh, Bayonne, I think for a bit before he got sacked. And um, he and he was there's a female rugby presenter. We've got Sarah Elgin and they've got a, a female a rugby presenter. Don't know her name. Forgotten her name. Anyway, French lady, very very gorgeous and all that sort of stuff. So he just goes. He knows Twitter's completely public, and he just writes, "Hello, da 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 da. Are you single?" on Twitter straight away, and she says, I'm afraid or not. I'm happily married or I'm spoken for or something like that. And he just sends back a pic, which has been, it's a picture that has been taken by a photographer, so it's not a selfie, and it's like part of a shoot he's done for a magazine or something, and it feels he's getting out the shower with his, like, he's got a towel around him, he's still soaking wet, the towel's real low, so you can see his gentleman garden, but it's real low, and he's sort of sitting there, and he just, like, looking in the mirror, like, looking amazing, he just sends a picture of that and just says, you sure? LAUGHTER I love it. Hashtag 77 caps, he put on it. Uh, it was genius. Doesn't give a shit. I love that.
4: Right, should we take Have uh, we got any more out there? We'll
2: tell you what we've got here quickly. We've got, uh, we're going to finish soon because we've gone way over for Jason. Sorry, Jason. Um, this is from David Johnson on Twitter. He's asked for an international dream team. No, David, we're not having that because we, we haven't got all week. What I'm interested in, though, is yourself. I know you wouldn't pick yourself anyway, For a modest guy, but take yourself out of it. But who would you be your dream all-time dream type five. So it's a nerdy question, but I want to know the answer to it. Front row and second row. Um,
6: front row, I'd go loose head, uh, Oz Durant. Yeah, I'd say Oz, you'd most probably say. Uh, Fitzpatrick, one of the best, one of the best hookers uh, the world's ever seen. Tight head, oh, that's, that, that's a tough one. Olo Brown, maybe? No, Olo Brown was good. I mean, Probin, you could have Probin in there yeah. as well. Uh, I'd most probably go with probes because, uh, as tight heads goes, he was the biggest cheating bastard. A yeah. uh, lot of them. <laughs> second rows, actually. I mean, I'm I'm conflicted in one aspect because I think <clears throat> Willie John McBride should be there for what what he's done for the game and and everything. My like my two second rows most probably would be because I think they would work perfect in tandem. Martin Johnson at two and John Eels at four.
2: Yeah, yeah, that worked quite nicely, wouldn't it? That worked quite nicely. Um, another question we got was the toughest player, your hardest ever opponent. So two questions, really. Who's the, these are the sorts of questions that are super nerdy, but people actually love the answers to these, and I do as well, because so I'm a rugby fan as well as an ex-player. And the, the hardest guy you ever played against in terms of just being a horrible bastard and the best prop you ever played against?
6: The hardest guy is easy. Uh, it's a guy called Norman Hadley, who was... Canadian second-row captain, uh, sadly passed away a couple of years ago. Um, how can you describe Norm? Six foot eight, about 22 or 23 stone. He had a scar down his face like that, and he didn't get that from rugby. That, that gives you a bit of a clue. Um, I, I hit him once. I didn't realise it was him. I actually double dislocated my, my middle finger of my left hand. I've thrown an uppercut where I saw someone in a Canadian jersey, obviously, distinct sort of red white shorts, red socks, stamping on an England player, uh England versus Canada at Wembley, nineteen ninety-three. And I've hit this guy with a great uppercut and I felt the crack, my 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 finger, but literally his jaw. So I went great lovely. This guy's <laughs> this guy's jackknifed out of this ruck. I've turned around going, 'Cause that that's smart sort of thing I so I'm now trying to pop my dislocated finger back in, both knuckles. It's a lovely sunny day at Wembley and at the old stadium. It didn't stadium. work, Jason. No, it didn't work. It really, <laughs> no. didn't nice work. And straight, look at him. And um, all of a sudden I realise I'm in shade. And I'm looking down as I'm trying to pop these knuckles back in. How the hell can I be in shade? And all of a sudden I turn around and there's Norman Hadley standing there. And you can see, first of all, I saw his, his feet. It's like size 17 boots, <laughs> then shorts, then shirt, then Norman Hadley. And he had this lump, like literally in between his eyes. And it was, it was going like a Tom and Jerry sketch. It was like, whoop. It was, it was growing that quick. And I've got to say, I've not felt fear many times on a rugby field. <clears throat> and even then, I wasn't scared. Even then, I wasn't scared. I was scared when he said, is that the best you got, princess?
5: <laughs> yeah.
6: I was, I was pretty scared then. Uh, which, lucky enough for me, I hit the only bloke who was slower than me around the pitch. The best prop, best prop. Um, Actually, scrummaging wise, the 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 the, the hardest scrummager that I ever I, I never you normally always get an inch out of someone, you normally get someone back on their heels. One guy that I could never move, I <coughs> I just couldn't move him for love nor money, was when South Africa come after uh, come after the World Cup win in two uh, in ninety-five. When they come over here on tour, they got rid of some of their players like Barley Swall and these guys, and they picked this rotund... Little ginger tight called Tommy Laubshire, who sadly I, I, I found out a little while ago, he's just passed away. But this guy had four arms on him like this. He had this, he had this sort of handlebar moustache, ginger waxed, and all this. He had a great big stomach on him like this, and I'm thinking, right, lovely, I can't wait. 60 minutes, I'm having out blow, blown out of his ass after 60 minutes. I'll kill him in the last 20 minutes. The last 20 minutes I just couldn't move him. It was like it was like hitting a brick wall, it was like hitting a brick wall. And I, I, how I used to play my, again, when you're trying to psychology with front rowers, you'd start off with what you'd think is a big hit in the game. What I'd want to do is, as a lucid or a tight i will try and hit my opposite number harder each scrum. You might not be able to follow it up or chase your feet up as much as you can because you're knackered, but as long as you're still hitting them harder than what you did before, then you're rocking them backwards. Once they get on their back on their heels, then you can chase it up. This bloke, I couldn't move. I couldn't move. And I remember shaking his hand afterwards, saying, mate, that's amazing. This and the other, He's got a great big stomach on him like this, this and the other. And he went, oh, no, we'll have beers and this and the other. So we're having a few beers afterwards. So the next game was, I don't know, Fiji or whatever it was. So you do the, an- the analysing of the game. And then I found out why he wasn't knackered. The fucker walked from scrum to scrum <laughs> to scrum. He didn't run anywhere. That he was your error, Chase. He didn't run anywhere. I'm there like going, I, I wish I'd known that. Was no, that, I mean yeah. that was a big part of my game was walking. I've got to say that now.
2: <laughs> <laughs> now we're gonna we've got we've gone on too long and Jace, I yeah. apologise for that, but it's been great. We've got one final question from Twitter, from Mark Scott on Twitter. Question for Jace Does he remember the time Eastern Counties played at Warwickshire in the Colts final at Twickenham, and he dressed the Queen Victoria statue at Royal Holloway College in one of the players' kit pissed the night before the final? Is that a bit niche, or is he talking <clears throat> shit?
6: No, that's true. <laughs> uh, 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 uh. The, the reason, the reason why um, I was able to do that, the the, the final in the Colts was um, in the semi-final. I'd, uh, do you remember a number eight that played at Wasps for a while, then London Irish, called Howard Lamb?
2: No, nothing I uh, do. A no. big,
6: big chunky, big chunky guy. He was playing for Middlesex, and I was playing for Eastern Counties in the semi-final of that that county competition. And uh, <clears throat> Howard did saying that I didn't like, and I decided to kick his head off his shoulders. <laughs> uh, I got banned for six weeks, which was really irritating, because when I went into the the, the the actual hearing, I was in the bar beforehand, having a beer with a bloke who got less weeks than me, and his nickname was Biff, and I'm going, that can't be right. <laughs> <laughs> that can't be right. You've got a nickname, Biff, and I'm getting more weeks used than you. You're the right people. And... Uh, so I got done, so I couldn't play in that final, but they took me along because I'd played in all the games beforehand. But then I was a disgrace the night before the game, so I did get drunk and I did, uh, I did do that. And I also, <laughs> I also climbed up the top of the hotel's flagpole and stole their flag as well. <laughs> Fucking strong flagpole, that. Which... <laughs> excuse my language. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and I, I actually. You sure it no, wasn't I, a pyramid? I put, yeah, there. No. And I remember putting Eastern Canties on it as well, so I had this flag at the game as well. And you've got the hotel there going, I'm sure we're missing a flag. So like that. like was one of those. So, yes, there's, there's lots of little stories like that about me. Yeah. Oh, that's
2: great stuff. There we are. Uh, ladies and gents, um, it has gone on a bit longer than that. Apologies to all of you and all of you listening at home or on the tube. And, again, sorry, Jace, we said an hour. It's gone on a bit. We apologise for that. Um, um, but we've absolutely loved it. It's been a great pleasure. Thanks to everyone at Token House. Thanks to the Fullers and Guinness and Diageo crew, top people. Thanks to Michelle for your continued support. We love you.
4: Yeah. Um, thanks to Paulie. Thanks, uh, uh, thanks to Paulie. Thanks to Paulie to Chimface for introducing us, us earlier on. He's a um, great guy. You two You too. Doing a, a cycle soon, aren't you? Is that right? Well, you're at the
2: Atlas the Atlas Foundation Atlas Foundation with there's a cycle, Jace. I couldn't make it last year. Um, I mean, I'm very happy to support the charity. It's just, do we have to do the actual bike ride? <laughs> Can we just not drive it and just donate the? <coughs> it's
6: it's eighty miles. It's eighty miles. How many days? <laughs> 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 it's it's not easy, mate. It's not easy. I mean, I, I've got a backside that should never ever be in a racing saddle. i have got to say that now. Um, the racing saddle be in your
2: backside, presumably. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. Same as mine. Yeah.
6: Um. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a tough day, mate. But you'll be able to do it. You'll be able no, to do it.
4: Yeah, go Yeah, definitely, yeah, well, definitely. I, I, did yeah. One, uh, I did one about a year ago, right? Oh, and yeah. honestly, my backside, you probably, that is kill, it absolutely kills, doesn't it? I said to my missus, what do you think that is? And she said, ring sting. I said, well, what the hell's he going to know? <laughs> Bloody hell. Good night, everyone. Thank Where you. Thank you, Jason. Thank you.